Hello and welcome to The Last Standy, a board game podcast coming to you from five exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium, bonjour. Audrey. Hey, hey, from France. Cara. From Germany, hello. And I'm your host, Fen. Hello, hello. Uh, we're going to be talking about a bunch of board games from uh, across the years. Uh, but we're going to start with the standee catch-up. So, Alexis, what have you been up to? Well, uh, last week I was at Audrey's and we played a bunch of different board games in two days uh, in extremely rapid fire. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was very interesting. Um, we'll definitely talk about a couple of them today. Um, but uh, more specifically, one that I wanted to, to quickly mention was that we tried, uh, was it Ion Zend? Ion Zend, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a very fun deck building cooperative battler game, but also um, extremely hard. Uh, I, after finishing my first game, I was very confused about how we are supposed to actually um, do it. So I'm probably going to play it uh, on TTS for the next week or so and see if I can figure out the strategy and maybe talk about it. Or if I keep failing at it, I'll also mention that it's a fun, but uh, that I'm rubbish at it. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about it in the future. I have the actual app for the game, um, oh. which is very, very well implemented. Um, it's uh, it's definitely a great deck builder, for sure. Yeah, it's very fun. Yeah, with my boyfriend, we are still stuck at the first uh, boss by rage thing. I don't know how it's called in English, and we 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 suck every time. Sometimes we get a power mage combo uh, where we say, "Okay, we there, we can do it," but most of the time we're like, "Uh, nope." <laughs> yeah, it has some really interesting mechanics. Uh, I think that also answers what you've been up to, Audrey. Yeah, uh, we finished Pandemic Legacy Season 0 with my boyfriend before Alexis uh, visited. I really liked uh, most of the end. I really liked the, the game, how the game plays and renews itself over the different uh, months. Uh, there is just one thing that I didn't like at the end. It's that in how you succeed or not doesn't really matter narratively. But uh, it's the same as we discussed with King's Dilemma, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, it's the travel that's interesting. And I preferred the travel of uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 0 over King's Dilemma's travel, but just slightly. I think the mechanics and narrative go a bit more together, let's say. Uh, and we went to the LGS uh, Saturday morning and my boyfriend bought uh, Destinies. So I think we are going to look into that very soon. Okay, and uh, Gara? Um, apart from work, finals are coming up, so I have to prepare them. Um, I um, tried out the new updated version of Endogenesis. It's a card game that was on Kickstarter a while back and had a lot of troubles and then another Kickstarter came with an expansion and reprint slash upgrade and um, yeah it's, it's it's okay now well actually good um, though I it made me think a lot about this whole using Kickstarter backers as um, game testers thing um, because the upgrade pack was every single card reprinted because 
every single Picard changed. Um, and if only that they added some new icons that told people for which game mode to use which card, um, something that wasn't uh, done in the first version. And yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the problems could have been addressed with just some rigorous testing beforehand. And that's a pretty big upgrade pack. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 only like 150 cards, but uh, still, yeah, it's it's a little bit weird to basically have the game two times now, and one of them is an unplayable version. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's very important, I think, for designers to value external playtesting, whether you get it from your backers, which. I think you get a mixed bag, but it is valuable. Um, you know, you've got people who are fans of what you're doing already and they're already invested. So um, you can get a varied amount of feedback. Some people will just gush over it, even if it's got problems. Others will be quite like critical. Uh, but I do think just professional external playtesters, like they can yeah. do so much. You find somebody who's good at breaking systems and trashing them and really like getting into rules or somebody separately who's good at following the flow of a rule book and being like this doesn't make any sense to me um Nijik is fantastic with rule books um gets very angry when the flow doesn't make sense um and that's when i can spot that there's some wording wrong because my brain will like rearrange it automatically and, and put it into a new form that I, I understand what the rules are trying to do but as written bit um uh, it's different and it's like oh okay yeah that, that's that's definitely a problem and then there's same with some mechanics where it's like why are they like this and i'm like i don't know they're just like this because that's what the game rules are followed by that's stupid and i'm like yeah i agree it's stupid <laughs> it doesn't make sense now you've yeah. talked about it so yeah definitely definitely simply using kickstarter backers uh they're often going to be more um casual player quote unquote which is which is good and can give you some good feedback but they definitely don't have the the same approach or, or rigorous um look at the rules that that professional players can, uh, can have and it's often disregarded to uh the to a proper good beta tester and it's it's very important uh, I, I worked in a software development and someone that is good at finding problems or like looking at user case and trying to replicate how a normal user is going to do things and trying to approach it from uh, an outsider's point of view is incredibly valuable and often um, not not taken advantage of enough. That's where I liked the uh, update that were, that happened on Midora last week, uh, where they mentioned both that there will be beta testing for backers uh, in a few months for the Acts 2 and 3, but they also talk about uh, where, how they hired someone which is going to be both a bit of designer and a bit of community manager, and they show uh, the insight that has a new designer he, he brought uh, and extra... Uh, new 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 gameplay elements that he brought and i think that's something very interesting the, the collaboration maybe between professional and uh casual yeah absolutely absolutely i think it's always important for people who are designing games to remember that if you keep going back to the same well of playtesters especially if they work in-house eventually a meta is going to settle 
that that's the way you play and people will just kind of feed into that and you occasionally just need to take this to somebody entirely new and fresh and say here's the rules don't don't you don't sit with them you just say here are the rules here's the game components you p- learn this you play this and come back to me um and it can make quite a difference although to be like honest uh the lazy squire games tried doing that with wild ascent they just did it with their backers and that game has a load of minor problems that all should have been caught by people who are externally playtesting. Um, and they're all minor. Like, mechanically, the game is great, but it's... I don't know what happened there, because they had Kickstarter backers playing. But I tried to get involved in that, and the process of getting to play the game was very awkward. So I think they maybe barriered a bunch of people who could have been helpful out just because it was difficult to go through all the steps to get in. Yeah, I've seen something like that before as well. Um, for uh, Lex Arcana, the uh, um, Italian uh, RPG, and um, I actually applied for beta testing and um, was approved. And when I got the materials for beta testing, it was basically, okay, now we have one week to uh, play this first scenario with your group and give us feedback. And I was like, I can't get my group together in one week. Um, I need more time to plan it. And that was the end of it. Um, and also, I do play tests for two games um, currently, or like for half a year now. And um, so I know it's really easy to miss small things. And that's what you said. You have to switch it up. You have to get different people on the game at different stages. Um, because it's so interesting. Like we play the game for six, six months. And suddenly someone new comes in, plays it for the first time and says, hey, why is that so? And we look at it and say, that's a good question. We didn't notice that. <laughs> uh, which games are that, if you can disclose them? Um, EOS, Island of Angels, and the upcoming expansion for Tsukuyumi, Sunrise Kingdom, both from King Raccoon Games. Oh. I'll definitely be looking into that then, knowing that, uh, <laughs> that you participated in Thanos. Yeah, yeah, it's all uh, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Yep. Hello. What's oh, okay. this? Q- oh, welcome. Q. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Q. Q. Street Fighter. New Challenger comes. Music. Hey, it's the fifth country of the podcast. So you can tell us what you've been up to right now. You're on the spot. What have you been up to? Oh, actually, uh, uh, well, we are past a lot of football matches <laughs> or so. It's football. We're in Europe. It's football. Are congratulations in order? Because I don't follow it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it, it happened no. when it happened. So let, let's not delve <laughs> in the past. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, uh, I actually have been bashed by uh, solo card playing game engine these days. I played a lot of Spire's End. There are, it's like uh, a solo kind of dungeon crawler, but it's more... Uh, horror themed adventure you play and uh, it has a uh, 15 uh, endings or something like that i don't know I, I i disclosed an ending which is like ending 15 so i, I think there are at least 15 and uh, they, they are one worse than the other <laughs> and i i managed to get six of them uh, until now um, kind of a cool game uh, also i begin to feel the grind Wonderful. Possibly we, we will talk about it or not. It depends. Let's see if, if I if I find a good ending. Anyway, on 13th 
of July, I think there will be or there has been uh, a Kickstarter for the sequel to it, or it's actually a prequel, uh, Spurs and Hildegard. I will back it. Ooh, I'm not sure. I'm interested because um, Spies is hard to get, but I'm not sure if I'm interested if it's a prequel because. I hate prequels as a concept. I really don't care because I kind of there's no jeopardy in respect to any of the ex- existing characters. You know where it ends. You do, you do. It's like I I know people have praised it, but I didn't. I just wasn't interested in watching Rogue One. That's exactly how I feel about uh, a Marvel movie, which is right now in the out in the in the rooms, and I'm not going to disclose my name. Everyone knows. And yeah, actually, so done. I am going to disclose. <laughs> I am going to disclose the name because actually. I agree in some extent that movie should have been taken place before Infinity Wars. It was really good and it would have added more to Infinity Wars. And I think like if I ever watched this fresh new, I don't know if I had like, like suffered amnesia or something, I would that that's the I would watch that video, that movie before uh, before Infinity Wars. But, but I really enjoyed it. I'm pondering if I have to go on that because prequels. The the thing the thing is the last Jedi for me was the like already Force Awakens I was a bit flag tired and like yeah I I grew up with the Phantom Menace stuff but once I've watched the others um, I was like I don't really watch the Phantom Menace stuff anymore because the only good part in that is Palpatine uh, and so for me when I finally watched the Last Jedi I was like nope okay uh, Disney don't know what they're doing with this anymore um, and I'm. I, I'm kind of over it. I'm kind of over Star Wars. I don't know whether I've just grown out of it or if it is the way everything's gone. And back to board games. <laughs> I guess it just leaves me. Uh, I my my local retailer had a Mage Knight Ultimate Edition back in stock, and it's been like out of stock everywhere for ages and ages. So I bought that, and now I've got two copies of Mage Knight, and I'm trying to work out what to do with the old one. So <laughs> that's been the biggest thing that's happened to me. Oh, I, I also I also got from Book Depository, uh, which is a great Scottish source for Osprey Games stuff. Uh, I got uh, Imperium Classics, so uh, I will eventually play it. Not Legends, because Imperium Imperium Legends. No. Everyone's like, I noticed the hotness all kicking around Imperium Classics, and I'm like, but Legends is the really interesting one. Yeah, uh, I just figured that uh, to understand if I like the game, uh, I needed the, the most basic factions. Since Arthurians and Atlanteans from Legends have uh, a lot of special rules, I, I think I kept them for later in case I like the game. Well, um, it's it's a very good game, um, but takes a bit too long to operate. Which is one of those things which is frustrating, but uh, I I do think it is it's got a lot. We've talked about it already uh, briefly, um, yeah. So we won't go back around it again today, but uh, yeah, we, we'll probably talk about it in some length at some point because it does a lot of things very well. Uh, yeah, and um, I also um, finally I picked up Anachrony now that the Essential Edition's out which is the version without all of the stuff. And then I went, ooh, I've got this nice, you know, an Acrony Essential Edition. I'm going to go get the mechs. The stupid pointless plastic mechs. I'm going to go get them because they make me happy. And 
I think I'll talk about this game at some point because it does so many things nearly brilliantly. It's just the whole thing kind of at the end doesn't quite make it into a, like a 9 out of 10 game, but it's still between a 7 and an 8. But you get your little mech and then you slot your worker token into the top of the mech and then you send them out onto the ho- inhospitable surface of the planet to do stuff. And that is so much more satisfying than putting a worker token on top of a mech token. <laughs> it's... <laughs> They're works of art. They really are. There's just like um, four different designs, and they are amazing. I I I think that's the reason I bake the stuff from uh, Aeon Trespass Odyssey because you can stuff miniatures on top of miniatures. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is just a uh, cardboard <laughs> on top of miniatures, but yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> eventually every board game is just going to end up as a big exciting balancing act where you're putting everything on top of everything else but uh, you know not yet we're not there yet we will get there unless everything will be up based but we will get to that well uh, I think it's time that we started talking about our actual um, uh, subjects for the uh, for the episode so Audrey would yes. you like to uh, tell us all about the first one in this this themed collection of games Yes, our first game today is going to be Above and Below. Above and Below is a narrative competitive board game which is based based on a worker placement mechanic where you will have villagers which will do various actions to build a village. But this village extends above and below the surface of the earth, where the title comes from. Ha! So, the idea is that your villagers will able to do various actions. There aren't many actions. There will be the action to recruit a villager, the action to work to generate gold coins, the action to build a house, either above or below the surface, the action to uh, get resources, and the action to explore. The exploration is the mechanic where the workers will explore below the surface and uh, see grottos where they will then build the outposts, which can generate resources, uh, generate uh, victory points, generate gold, uh, etc. How to build um, an outpost or a house, you just need coin, and then they will, you will get the resources, the victory points, uh, etc. Honestly, it's a game where the explanation of the rules is very fast. I, I think that it, it goes quite fast because you don't have many requirements to do any actions, the things are quite self-explanatory, there are many symbols everywhere, so except for the adventure book, which goes for the Grotto's exploration, you can play with an, any language people. Yeah, uh, so I um, uh, we played that game together, so Audrey explained the game. I think that it took under 20 minutes to explain the full things. Um, and definitely, if you just have the, uh, the symbol explanation uh, page next to you, you can just jump into the game pretty, uh, pretty competently in, in just five seconds. And if you want to play with a different edition, you just need a uh, native speaker that speaks the language of the exploration book, or uh, they they can probably sell those separate. It's it's very easy and interesting. On that that level, the design is is quite um, lean, I would say. 
Yeah, definitely. It's um, it it's really easy to jump into, and the concept's kind of nice and simple. With this, hey, you're building a new village from scratch after this, like your last one was ransacked by a bunch of barbarians. So perhaps this time you might want to invest in some defenses, but you know, whatever, just just build houses. And uh, uh, and I love the artwork to this game in particular. Like I feel that Ryan Lockett's art, and he's very much uh, an all-in-one kind of, I don't know whether there's a board game term for it, but you'd call him an auteur, maybe, or, or, or it, something if he was doing films. He's, he's got a great vision of this world that he's been constructing, and uh, I, I just love it. I, every single character, when I get them, no matter who I get, they just speak to me in some way, whether it's because of their outlandishly giant moustache or cute scarf or whatever. It's And, and the design of the houses as well. Like oh, uh, everything is pretty neat and cute. Yeah, it's it's so adorable and brilliant. Um, and it is very light. Yeah, it's very light. But we haven't talked about the narrative aspect that takes place when you explore the grottoes because you will have to give uh, the book to the other players if they can read it, of course. Because if you have just one native player, actually, it's a bit annoying for the book because you have to read a piece of law which says, okay, you are exploring a grotto and here you see uh, mushrooms and fruits which are playing a game of chess. They look like they're set up like a game of chess. Okay. And then the, peop- the player that has the rulebook in hand continue reading and say, okay, so you have the possibility to, let's say, uh, continue playing the game of chess or steal the, the fruits. What do you do? And with each choice, you have a difficulty level associated, which will be exploration. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, something. And behind every choice you have the rewards associated with the choice written and you don't tell the rewards you just say if you play the game of chess you can uh, get something if you score exploration three get something else if you score exploration five if you choose to steal the things you have something if you get exploration four and then the active player makes the role which gives lanterns depending on the villagers involved in the exploration action and depending on the results they get the rewards or they don't or they can exhaust villagers to improve their result to get the rewards and that's where the narrative comes in play because every time that you explore a new grotto you will discover a new piece of the world you will discover yeah that there are mushrooms which are alive um you will uh discover many things uh and little bit by little bit you will figure out oh okay so in this world there are uh pig creatures but they're nice okay and you will figure out bit by bit what i really enjoyed with that is that the world seems to be um really colorful and and fun uh we we played it just a little bit and because because during a a game are pretty short as i'm sure you'll you'll talk about in a little bit uh you're only going to read maybe 10 entries at best if you really focus on the exploration so that book seems to be constantly going to be uh, showing you something new. Like, I, I would be surprised if you saw the same entry uh, multiple times over, over multiple games. Uh, it seems to be really, really big and random. 
Yeah, there's uh, yeah. Uh, there's 215 entries, although some of the entries are like multiple parts of, depending what, depending on what choices you do. So yeah, it takes a long time to have a repeat of an entry, and even if it does, you can't be like, ooh, last time I saw those mushrooms playing chess, I stomped them both flat. Maybe I shouldn't do that this time. Perhaps I will talk to them, and uh, I'll give them some of my food, and then one of them joins your party. Which I, I don't know if you had that happen in your playthrough, but there's a few special villagers who, under certain circumstances, can join your village, and they're all really cool. No, we didn't find. Uh, I had two plays under my belt so far, and no, we didn't meet uh, any special villagers yet. Uh, the main thing that annoys me in the game is that, yes, as Alexis said, it's short. It feels short. As in, by the time you build uh, a few houses and out outposts that let you uh, get resources, uh, you feel like, yeah, now I have the time to um, to reap those resources and put them in my resource track. And, and actually, no, you don't have the time to fill that resource track. The resource track feels very big to me compared to how much you can really put into. Or maybe it's just that I don't have enough game experience to uh, optimize uh, what I can uh, build for resource houses and outposts and put the resources in my uh, resource track. But yeah, it feels, I will not say limited, but restricted by the time, which is a constraint in many games. So that's okay in a way. But it leaves me always with a small feeling of frustration. Yeah, um, I, as we played, it kind of felt like you have to focus on one type of play and that if you try to diversify yourself too much, uh, you're quickly going to be, get limited. I, I started the game trying to explore because I saw that exploration book and it looked incredibly fun and fun of full entries. And uh, I, I immediately threw a couple of villages there and then realized that oh, exploration is actually really hard, and if you fail an exploration, you get nothing. Um, so it's it's kind of a, a waste of resources in the early game, unless you're lucky, and by the time you're... by the time I felt like I had a, a proper team to, to go investigate, it was already in the end of the game, and I couldn't, I couldn't get there. But Audrey was lucky to get a, a good villager from the start. Yeah, I stole it from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they were able to, to really dive deep into the exploration uh, faster, and that, that generated some, some good resources. It's it's an interesting game, and I feel like having a, a few more plays under my belt would, uh, would help um, get to it better. But I... I liked it, but I think that the exploration book could be could be more uh, front and center, uh, maybe with different tiers of exploration or something. I don't know. I I had fun with it though. Yeah, you can definitely tell this is like an early design from from Ryan that uh, he's just kind of exploring the concepts because it does everything well. Uh, it does a nice worker placement game. Uh, it it's nicely written. I didn't, don't think I ever found an encounter where I've been like, oh, I, I I think that's badly worded. They've all been at least fine to great, um, and at times have you know elected a, a laugh from people around the board. But uh, yeah, it's it it is. It's only seven rounds, so once you get used to playing it a fair bit, you have to hit the ground running with what you want to do, and often the villagers you get will determine where you're going to go. You're not going to be doing a lot of exploration if your villagers are bad at exploring, for example. 
so yeah, it's um, it does hold up in replays, uh, and I like that it is fairly fast and light. But I do agree that it can feel unsatisfying because you really start getting momentum um, just at the time when the game goes, all right, wrap up, wrap it up, you're done. Yeah. I actually feel different. Go ahead. That's interesting. I, um, when I play with my friends, it was one of those rare games where no one cared about the points. First of all, no one knew how many points themselves or the others had because um, scoring is distributed over many different things and it's near to impossible to keep track of your own points during the game plus where the others stand. And um, so it was really a fun experience. No one had to care about any points or something. We just built our villages and we had so much fun with these stories. Um, I know some people criticize um, that it's totally random. Yeah, You pick a card, you roll a die, one of those six numbers uh, on the card tell you which story you read and you have one random encounter of these 215. But um, I think first of all it's very thematic because well you just go somewhere underground and look what is there. So there doesn't have to be a clear like storyline behind it. Um, and um, it's it leads to really just fun encounters. It's, I mean, there are encounters that are like somewhat more serious, like, I don't know, you find some traveler that is lost and you can decide to help them find the way or maybe rob them or whatever. Uh, and it's often like you have a choice of being good or being bad and um, and then there are encounters I know one of my encounters was I somehow got into like a singing match with some mushrooms and um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just so weird and random and we had so much fun with it and it's just such an endearing world Ryan Lauket builds there uh, where these serious things um, are next to these totally random and just funny encounters. And um, yeah, and it was really from start to finish, we just had fun with the game. At the end, I have no idea who won because no one really cared. I mean, someone had to have won, but um, whatever, we just had fun with it. And actually, I mean, You've played some games with me, you know, I like to crunch things and... Um... Yeah, I, I played Wrathguided well with you. I know how, I know how you get. <laughs> but yeah, with this yeah. game, I was really, I don't care. I'm just having fun. You, you know what? Um, I, I, I don't know if I, we, I didn't get as far as talking about that part of it in detail. I'm glad you did because that is the endearing part for me is, and part of the reason why I feel when you get seventh round and it's time to stop and pack up i'm like oh because i've just reached a point where i could really start like oh maybe i could do an explore eight check Ooh, that's that's a bit normally i've heard about those and i want to avoid doing that um so it's it's this desire to get more time to engage with the, the the storybook which is really your interface with this world below your village that is so exciting although um isn't it it's kind of amusing how bland your village is at the top compared to all of this stuff beneath. But I, I think that's the point. I that know. It's, it's so colorful under it. I, I will say, though, that that 
uh, exploration book is what sets it apart from any other Walker placement game and puts it just just uh, above and beyond everything. Below. Uh, Beyond below. is when I... <laughs> Above and below, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, actually, I think that uh, the, the merging of the exploration part and the worker placement part is done really, really extremely well. Usually, I, I wouldn't touch a game like this with a three-foot pole, like, uh, three pole, like they say, because uh, uh, having a worker placement, which is... Uh, a bit tainted by exploration, by something which is uh, randomness and stuff will destroy the game. But I have to say that, uh, and I, I have not no direct experience. I only spectated games uh, these times to to get on par for, to to talk about this. But I have to say it just looks fun. It looks silly fun. It is uh, perfectly merged and. Uh, well, when you go exploring, you can get stuff which will help you with workers or above. And uh, when you get, uh, when you build enough stuff uh, to have your injured rest, uh, you can explore more. So actually, it is uh, a, a great merge. It is. Uh, I think that the biggest merit of this game is that it merged two things so different and it is fun as a result oh absolutely uh the the writing i, I just was like looking at the worker placements again and uh with worker placement tokens and i was reminded just how more important the workers feel in this game than they do in others so in a lot of worker placement games you just have a generic meeple or maybe a round brown disc um or an animal yeah, pole yeah yeah maybe an animal meeple but in this like every single worker has their own own separate piece of artwork and for me this would result in times where i would just get very annoyed if i couldn't get the merfolk person the fish person <laughs> or the frog and there's only one frog and one merfolk in like the the pool i'm looking oh, at here stole the merperson on the first time uh, the merperson yeah the merfolk yeah you, it, won me my the, game. it was on the the lowest track to buy uh, to buy a new uh, citizen it costed nothing i saw it and i was like oh yeah. those are good stats i need to jump on oh already got it first yeah. player also 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 the twist of having the different stats on each worker is actually yeah. a smart idea and with, with a different artwork i mean everyone starts mechanically with the same workers but still you start the game by drafting them because of course you don't want any worker you want the one that looks the way you want him to look so you want to pick this one even though he does the same thing as the others yeah, I often pick workers based on how glorious their mustache is if they're male, because that's uh, that's a good criteria to have. And I love the uh, he's not great, but the explorer guy with the big long Fu Manchu is a favourite of mine. Um, but uh, it's oh, th this artwork is just wonderful and adds so much to the game along with the writing. It's, it feels like a big world and uh, so much so that you want to go back to it. And luckily, luckily we can you get to go back to it, not just with the same game, but with others. Yeah, I mean, technically you can't really, uh, well, you can go back, but you can also explore more far away or more nearer. So that leads us to, uh, <laughs> it was a very bad. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so near and far, great game. Let's skip this topic now i'm ashamed by myself <laughs> and my transition try 
Nah, it's you, fine. You, you jumped in on the transition. You wanted to take it. I was getting towards a near and far. But, uh, <laughs> this is this is where you've landed. I mean, next time you might want to think about it here and now. Isn't it here uh, and now? He's about closer. The next game? No, now, and now never. or never. It's now or never. Now or never. Closer and further. <laughs> Up and down, yes. Okay, well, tell us all about Near and Far. Yeah, so Near and Far came out uh, two years after Above and Below, um, also by Ryan Laukett designed and designed. Um, so Illustrations, too. Yeah. He's a full-stack designer. Yeah, it's and um, first of all, you will feel right at home. If you know above and below and you unpack near and far you will feel right at home you immediately recognize the style um, and um, the story now is basically a couple years after above and below you know the, um, people founded new villages and um, now you have basically like a whole world it's not just this village but um, you are playing adventurers and um, or heroes that um, gather adventurers around them and explore this world. Um, there is an overlying story um, here because you have different game modes. You have the uh, first game game mode, uh, which is used like as an introduction to the game to get to know the mechanics. You have the arcade mode, which is basically like, okay, you put it on table, play a game and put it away again. And then you have the character and the campaign mode. Uh, the character mode focuses on the stories of the different characters you can play, uh, while the campaign mode focuses on the story of the world, and um, which is basically like this: are these rumors about this lost city, and um, you're qu you are on a quest to find this city and play over um, eleven maps. So it's not just one map where you play on, but you have 11 different maps. It's the first time that Ryan Lockett not only has an encounter book with all these stories, but also an atlas book um, where you can choose a map to play on, or if you play the campaign mode, play one map after another. Um, of course, switching up the game each time. Yeah, spo spoiler, we will use that <laughs> in, fo in following games. <laughs> Yeah, um, some mechanics are more or less the same. Um, there are also some integrations with above and below. Um, you have, instead of workers, adventurers you uh, get and put into your crew. Um, you can use these adventurers in above and below as workers. On the backside, they have the symbols for above and below. Um, so like a mini expansion and um, Maybe there is one adventurer you really like and you can just use him in both games. And um, here we, they don't give like new actions, but they give uh, skill points. Uh, there are um, two skills basically, like um, fighting and... Ability? Yeah, something. Um, basically it's a hand and a sword. Yeah, And um, when you have an encounter, you um, roll a die and add all the appropriate symbols. So if you have an encounter where you have to f uh, fight in some way, you roll a die and add your swords you have from your adventurers or from items you got and stuff like that. While if you uh, try to, I don't know, persuade someone, you have to add all the hands you've got. Um, yeah. 
And um, one core mechanic here is you place camps. So while you explore the world, you um, leave behind camps. And this is also like when the game ends, once one player has placed all their camps, it's the last turn. And um, the camps, first of all, give points, but also they increase the your reach. Because if you try to explore somewhere where you don't have camps, you lose stamina. But if you already have a camp there, you can just go further without losing stamina. So it really feels like you are increasing the area you can explore over the course of a game. That, that seems that seems very uh, interesting as a as a concept. Like the the exploration is, seems to be much more in the uh, on focus there. Uh, so it's still uh, point based uh, resolution at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, though what I really like, most games use victory points, and it's. I mean, sure. In the end, it's about who has the most points and this person has the victory. So of course they have victory points, but really just changing the name changes the feeling for me. And in this game, it's journey points. And it really fits the theme because you just travel and experience things and you get points for that. So it's who has the best, the better stories. Yeah. And so I really, Thing I've heard with different games like KDM uh, talk a lot about emergent storytelling and I feel like Near and Far does this really well. Um, even like in one game um, you have your own story. Yeah. So okay how you try to connect this trade route or how you help the shopkeeper in this town and um, how you made friends with the leader of the nomads and all these things happen in a game and create your own story and i really love that yeah i um i love how when you go you play above and below and you move on to near and far how not only do you see a growth in the world and the way it's set, uh, but also a growth in the mechanics and the, the extra depth of the game. You can see somebody like refining their craft and really getting to, I've done this, I want to do this and this and this. Interestingly, near and far in the early stages of Kickstarter had a lot more area control elements to it. Um, so it was far more sort of rushed to get on the map and kind of dominate areas and there's still a little bit of that left in your placing tents and things but it became more about the journey as the as things evolved and that's wonderful because you've got this constant tension of everybody starts in the village and oh okay i'm going to go out on this adventure i'm going to explore this part of the spiral book uh, again i want to just say i love the use of like books as boards because it tightens up the play area so much um, reducing the size, which is always nice. But you're like, okay, so here I'm in the village. I need some more people to venture with. I kind of want, uh, uh, I want a, an animal to carry some stuff. Yeah, sure. But somebody else is like looking and going, I'll just go with what I've got here. And then you're like, no, no, but but you're going to get to go out and experience the world and have all the strange, interesting story adventures. And I, I'm not ready yet. So I guess I have to go as well. And it's that nice kind of constant game of chicken where you're back and forth on... Um, are you going to go yet? Are you going to go yet? Oh, I want to be more prepared. Oh my goodness, I'm going to go with a, with a string and a hat. That'll do me. I have to say that I prefer narrative games when they are co cooperative generally. Because uh, 
when it's like that, the, this tension that you are describing in something that I don't really personally like to experience. So you like cooperative ga narrative games, right? Well, yeah. you are in luck. Near and Far has an expansion Amber Mines, which comes with several modules you can add to the game. And one of those modules is a cooperative module where you can basically play any game mode from the core game in co-op. That sounds yeah! great. Uh, have you tried that mode or is it not out yet? Uh, well, it's out already. Um, it's been it, out since... It's out in French already as well. Yeah, and um, it's it's great. Um, there are no hidden information. So even though it's officially for two to four players, you can also play it uh, alone. And um, with, you know, just take two characters and play both of them. And uh, it becomes some kind of a puzzle, you know, um, because uh, you have a time limit and the longer you take to finish the game, the more points you need to win. And um, <clears throat> and yeah, it's the story you create changes because it's not just your own story, but now it's uh, a collective story. Yeah, um, okay, um, this character tried to um, focused on getting in league with the um, outlaws while this one tried to get in league with the mystics and um, they decided beforehand um, who would control which trade road and it's <clears throat> yeah it's really cool yeah uh, I have two observations about this the first one is that it looks like every single one of you is uh, recording this podcast while having a web page open on brettspielpreis.de <laughs> like like let's find this expansion right now oh it's here in French <laughs> after no, that no <laughs> I knew it already because it's at my LGS <laughs> okay the, the second observation is actually uh the near and far just juxtaposition in this game is done very very well actually uh, i i played the introductory scenario and uh, i had to say uh, i wanted to go out and explore mostly i found myself returning back to the city because i needed the action the action selection part that is fully and completely merged even better than above and below and actually it makes sense for you to go back also the the cool part which was also a gripe with above and below is that uh, now it makes sense the events you are uh, you are getting if you are by a lake you will see the lake in the story event you will play when you explore and that's super cool that's actually a, a big important evolution also, the spiral bound atlas, like Fan said, is uh, is the best. I I, I find myself uh, liking more and more this approach to designing games. I I, I that was the single idea I liked most uh, out of uh, Gloomhaven Joseph of the Lion. I like it here. I will. I actually liked it in Sleeping Gods. Whenever we will talk about it, so cool. It reduces the amount of components in the game as well. You don't have these big cardboard tiles. Yeah, it's not perfect by itself because, of course, it will see a lot of wear and spiral bound is not exactly the the, thaw the, the thickest ma material there is. But uh, 
I think it shortens uh, the time it takes to put the game to play. It allows you to expand it by just adding two pages. So there's a lot you can do with that. And uh, of course, uh, for the visionary and crazy designer, uh, just imagine what you can do with two books. Like again, uh, it will happen in, Sli in Sleeping Gods. Uh, I had a, a one more question, if one of you has tried that. Um... How does it feel to play above and below and then near and far in the same, uh, like in, in following session, uh, quote unquote? Like, do, do the game feel like they're part in the same, um, uh, in the same hole? Do they feel a bit at odds or like, do, does near and far feels like a straight evolution that, uh, takes over what above and below does or, uh, be because it seems like since they have the same sort of story, it would be interesting to play uh, above and below and then and then move on to near and far. Well, um, I've played them in close succession with each other. I played uh, I played above and below when it first came out. I played near and far when it first came out. I also played them afterwards in uh, together. Um, they definitely feel like the same world. The, the continuous nature of the art style, uh, the writing being consistent. You have the same people returning to write for, for Near and Far, who wrote in Above and Below, which is um, Ryan Lockett, uh, Mallory Lockett, and Alf Seergert, and they're joined by Brenna Asplund for the writing here. Uh, it's clear that Ryan um, and his writers have a, clear, a very strong vision for the, the, the world and the direction they're taking it in. Also... They, they're definitely different games. Above and Below is, while you have this exploration in the book, it's not moving around on a map. It's going down and having one encounter that you decide what to do with on your branching path of choices, make your roles come back to the surface. Whereas Near and Far is you're out, you're moving around a map, you're deciding when there are forks, which way to go, whether you want to head towards this named place or go explore up near this forest, things like that. Um, so they build on one another they complement one another i do think it's clear that near and far is the more accomplished of the two but that's just to be expected because it came out two years after above and below and ryan has just shown he's gone from strength to strength as he's figured out what he wants to do with his writing and his games and his worlds um and you know i can only just i can't wait for the next one in this series to come out yeah uh, sometime this year right Yep. Pre-orders are open, yep. so I guess that the sign is in final stages, if not complete. Um, I think, I, I mean, I haven't played them in close succession to each other, but what I like to add, um, first of all, yeah, it feels like one world, but with near and far, it get, just gets so vast um, that it's actually like you can go away from above and below. I mean, above and below are two locations on the first map of near and far. So there you can actually go to the village you built and see what they are up to. And um, which is actually quite interesting, um, this event. I had this event and um, I won't spoil it, but it's, it's really cool to visit another game and see, hey, it's been a few years. What are you people up to now? And, um, and of course you encounter on the first map uh, the same um, type of people and it's 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 very familiar everything but um yeah you can play chess again with the mushrooms <laughs> but um 
Or those shrooms love love chess. <laughs> the further you travel, the the more different the world becomes. It's just you have to just have to flip through the um, world uh, atlas, and can see how the world changes. And um, yeah, so I guess near and far is a very fitting title. <laughs> Yeah, if you get far enough into it without talking about spoilers, there's a couple of pages that will make you like look at and go, "Ooh, that reminds me of Sleeping Gods." Like the design, it's um, the the Rocktooth Islands pages, and it's it really is like it's it's like a precursor to uh, to Sleeping Gods. Though um, I don't think they are it's set not... in the same world. Then they're not, but I meant like conceptually. You look at the visuals, and this is like, oh, oh, okay. I can see this maybe had some hand in the genetics of the way that the world of sleeping gods looks, because it's it's like a proto proto map for that one. Um, Wait, so I'm I'm very ill prepared about sleeping gods. Is sleeping gods by the same designer? Yes, yes. it is. It is. Yeah, oh, it's... that explains so much. I know. I understand the team of the episode now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was just like narrative games, but no, it's actually it's it's actually more than that. Yeah, oh. it's okay. It's, Alexis was in vacation. It, it's it's more of that. It's also we're basically doing our prep work and groundwork before we start talking about Sleeping Gods, because it's really good to go back and look at these two and see the evolution and honing of this craft that yeah. then created, I think, a game that is just going to be considered to be one of the best games of all time. I, I don't think it's uh, too too uh, wrong to state that that's probably where Sleeping Gods is going to land in the end. So I might skip near and far and just get Sleeping Gods. Yeah, I I have not yet had the time to uh, to play Sleeping Gods, unfortunately. But it's been I've been eyeing it up for a while now, and I truly regret not to have uh, joined up on the the Kickstarter campaign when I saw it passed. Yeah, that's actually my regret. It's uh, very hard to come. To come by a physical copy because uh, Red Raven kind of underproduced, and now it's a mess to get the physical copies anyway. I'm sure for it will, each it and will every game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm getting it from a pre-order, but it's very very late. I'm playing it on on, uh, on tabletop simulator and uh, it's not an official mod, but it's kind of tolerated. So. Uh, it's a way to play it while you wait for the real thing. As most time with narrative games, I'm waiting for the French version because, as well, with my boyfriend, it's much easier. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is easier when it's translated to your native language. Not that I'll ever get that. I don't think anyone would ever do a Welsh edition. <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually uh, stick though. to the English versions for um, Red Raven games, but that's because I have a personal gripe with the German. Uh, publisher so <laughs> they are no go for me that's fair enough that's fair yep. enough actually it would be really great to have an exploration adventure game with a uh, original sort of um uh legendary welsh poems yes they're uh well the the problem is that um they've been very like um gathered up by the English and the French and like used for their own purposes so um, reclaiming them all it's, it's, it's going to take a long time and it takes them with a better grasp of history than than myself for sure but I would I would love to see them um, but uh, you'd also have to look into the Irish because there's a lot of crossover between the two yeah. like, blending of concepts but yeah there's a good uh, tradition of uh, epic poems uh, epic in the original uh, term of the world uh, let 
that, or that to make it easier it's possible to make the game in its uh, symbol way to have all the tiles and all the things uh, completely free of language element and have an app next to it which holds most if not all of the language elements yeah that's is this a transition no it's not because i i'm not <laughs> finished i wanted to talk about uh, a cu- one mechanic in near and far that amused me no end before we do wrap up um uh, I've been trying to just jump in, but we got we got caught up talking about the other bits and pieces, and um, that is the dueling mechanic, which yeah, the action yeah. selection. It is twist. so amusing to me. Like I, I I I kind of love it. It's the most passively aggressive, like pointless mechanic ever. But I wouldn't <laughs> change it for the world. Uh, the village section where you're choosing where to go is like many worker placement games. You one person per space, but it's not quite that. If somebody's at a space you want to go to, you can go there, and then you have to engage them in a duel for the right to be there. Um, now, the, what the stakes are is, if you win, you get to be there. If you lose, you don't get to be there. The other person you go to prison. <laughs> no, no. If you play, if, yeah, you could go to yeah, you can go to prison. Yeah, but uh, and then try again next turn or whatever. But the stakes are kind of so unbelievably low for the person who's defending that they're not really even defending. They're just like, eh, I, don't, I don't really care if you're here, but my character does. Like, you're crowding their space, so get the hell out of it. Uh, I, I just found it so funny because it's it, it's actually a pointless mechanic. It really, like, if you're going to have conflict between two people in a space uh, on a worker placement style mechanic, which the village bit is, then maybe there should be stakes for both players so they actually get engaged but they're not it's like one person's really i really need to go here you screwed me over i've got to go here i'm gonna fight you for it and the other person's like yeah okay i mean <laughs> I, I think, i'm not bothered yeah i think the only reason for this is really um to have an active way to change your reputation because in a duel you can decide do you fight honorably then your reputation will increase or you do do you fight dirty then it will decrease and some artifacts to buy them, you need and a certain. You can pop- get guns. Reputation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if you have a cool artifact and know, ah, I need minus three reputation so I can get it. Hey, I'll duel you, and I fight dirty. Yeah, yeah that yeah. does make sense as a, a mechanical way to do it. Um, and and this that carries it from above and below has that same kind of not player versus player, but you can do naughty stuff and your reputation drops which I, yeah, we hadn't talked about at that point. So maybe that's a reason, but it's still, it, I, why isn't the defending person more involved in some manner? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it is indeed um, an amusing point, but I think we could say for sure that, uh, that this is a, it's a delight to play near and far. It really is. Um, as like above and below is quite whimsical and will suck you in and let you sort of spend 90 minutes just kind of experience in this world and the own little stories that you give your people and then near and far just does expand that out and take you off to this like hey it's not just this one place with this weird stuff happening in below it's all this here i mean there's constructs you can play as one he's my favorite character to play as just a big giant lumbering hunk of bronze i think is the only way to describe him or i say him it it's adorable but yeah, as you we were saying though, it is there's certainly another way you can do things, and that is to uh, to ha- have your components be as language neutral as possible, 
um, and then have an app with multiple different languages do the heavy lifting. And that brings us to the third game, which is not a Ryan Lockett game. Um, it's actually from somebody I've talked about in the past, and it's from the other company, I think, that really leans on storybook-style games. And that's Forgotten Waters from Isaac Vega, uh, J. Arthur Ellis, and Mr. Bistro, which is <laughs> my favourite designer name ever. Like, that has to be a pseudonym. It's, it's a, Forgotten Waters is a three to seven player, almost party game in some ways. Um, adventure game set in a whimsical world of pirates where you're members of a crew of a ship that's doing something. In the case of the first story, which is the only one I really want to spoil at all, um, likely is you're trying to sail off the beyond the world's edge which is this mythical section on the left side of the board that's covered in clouds and nobody's ever been through there but captain captain vance captain jessabut j vance uh your captain that's what he wants to do so you guys are there along for the ride to help him out um Everyone will get one or more roles, depending on the number of players, and your job is essentially you're tracking one aspect of the ship. So the cooper will be handling supplies, the boatswain will be sort of dealing with the hull, the ship's scribe will be recording any important story events that untrack. Um, and what I love about this in particular, kind of like above and below, is the rules teach is pretty like fast and light because the app is doing so much of the heavy lifting that you just need to t to say to people, here's the map, you move around on the map like one hex at a time, uh, you draw hex tiles if there's nothing on there, you might scout them and find them in advance. Then when you get to a location, you flip open the location book and you just say, okay, we're going to have 40 seconds, you're going to have to pick something here. The only rules are if it's red, one person has to go there. If it's blue, only one person can go there. If it's green, anyone can. Okay, grab your standee, decide where you're going. Um, physically, this is kind of a lot of fun, especially with more players, because you're sort of like trying to get past each other. Everyone goes down and suddenly you're looking and nobody's gone on any of the red options. And you've got 20 seconds left and people are going to have to like give way on something. Otherwise, the game will punish you because the crew will get discontent. If the crew gets too discontent, then game over. If the boat sinks, game over. You know, if you run out of supplies, then the crew doesn't get fed. They get discontent and you can lose the game that way. So I, I love that part of it. Um, it's a little harder to teach on um, Tabletop Simulator, which may be surprised that this game was so highly rated as a, a Zoom game. I can't remember if it won the category, but it was definitely a contender for it. Um, yeah, the, the app works very well, except when you go to a non, like a random location. So, so some locations have fixed events for that given story and some of the where you make decisions and you alter the path. But some of them just have like a random thing happens. And if you're all using your own app, then you're going to click on it and get a different answer to everyone else. And you kind of then have to sort of either have one person read or everyone re-roll the entry until we all get the same result so we can actually see what's happening and follow along i think you can just zoom and share screen on the web app yeah you could do but uh, that's um that it, it's an extra bunch of steps to deal with um and it actually we found generally it works better just to have everyone run their own copy of the app because if you want it in your own native tongue you can have that um, which, which could help a great deal. Or uh, if you want to read, you can read it or you can click play and have this chap read it to you in a pretty, pretty nice set of narration. He's quite 
piratical, piratical, quite pirate-like in the way that he, yes, pirish. Um, so, and, and that's the biggest part of this game is the stories. Now, we didn't have it happen during the session we played, but I had a wonderful series of playing with um, Profi and Greg and all the guys. And Profi, who's the biggest, brawniest pirate out of all of us in that particular run, um, he kept running into people and accidentally murdering them in combat. And there was this, so little Gertie, like he runs somebody down and, and they started wailing about little Gertie. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he ran into little Gertie in battle who uh, he murdered. And then this lady with two eye patches had a go at him for doing it and said she was the apple of all of our eyes, or to paraphrase. And and he was like, oh, oh well. And then in another fight later, he kills somebody else on the crew by accident. It turns out to be that lady with two eye patches who, like he tries to save her and then accidentally murders her because he's not good at, at surgery. He's just a big beefy beefcake who beats people up. Um, so it's got this hidden series of like story threads that seem to unpick and, and sometimes pop out at you, uh, which is great because honestly, I think the writing is, is particularly fun in this game. Um, at the start of the game, uh, Cara, would you like to tell us about what you do at the start with regards to your character and the story sheet that you get? Um, yeah, at the start, uh, basically you pick one of the story sheets or the character sheets. Uh, I think there was like 20 different or so. Mm -hmm. And um, basically every uh, character has like a constellation and a certain like stereotype. And you have, to, you have a personal character story, but you have to fill in five blanks. And um, for example, you have to name one other pirate in your group, or you have to name a piece of clothing, or a piece of fruit, or a famous person, or something. You just, you know, you just pick something, and over the course of the game, you unlock your story. Yeah, they call it Mad Libs. Yeah, and uh, you unlock your pieces of your character story, which develops, and there are these blanks where you put in the choices you made at the start, which can lead to quite interesting. Yeah, like bludgeoning Marie Curie with a uh, Lego <laughs> Death Star. That was, that was one of the highlights of the session, that was. That was wonderful. Oh. That, that and the ongoing narrative between yours and Kara's characters, where Kara's Ka yeah. character is a, the thespian pirate and is constantly bringing you in for your plays. And it's very clear that your pirate despises Kara and can't stand uh, these plays. And, and you're like, but I'm just being nice. And you're like, all I care about is my gold coat. And then there was my, my pirate. He didn't give a damn about anything except extreme safety. It's like, oh, you can't use that cannon. That's dangerous. Somebody, somebody might get hurt with that. In fact, that, that's what happened. Is my character unloaded all the cannons before one particular important fight, which was quite like, oh no. I was like, <laughs> my pirate in, in her reflective vest cares very greatly about safety and traveling around with loaded cannons. You're just asking for somebody to, to, to get their eye put out, you know. Um, yeah, so yeah, you were the hygiene and security guy. I was, I was. Yeah, she she was awful. Um, <laughs> that that's yeah. You got twenty one different pirates, and they have they all have their own little story. As you unlock the constellation, which is a unique pathway, like it's like a web that you follow, and you click on like a constellation, you you unlock each star, and when you hit exclamation point, you get a token that eventually becomes the story piece that unfolds, and that's where you do as Kara just talked about. Um, uh, you have to get a certain number of them uh, to get the better endings for your pirates. So there's this mini game within the game where 
you're trying to make sure the story succeeds. You don't want to fail because then nobody gets an ending, but you want to try and get as many of your consolation points completed as possible because three is the bad ending, four is the good ending, which can be kind of satisfying, and five is like the legendary, amazing ending, uh, which none of us achieved when we played. Uh, in fact, I got the bad ending, which turned out to be my character going, I told you so, to all the crew on the ship. After all the characters had left, it turned out the ship sailed off and burnt down because I wasn't there to tell them how to be safe anymore i was like well that's a bad ending for them but i mean i guess my character's an annoying know-it-all forever that's that's all right <laughs> um it, it's i just really love how this game it, it, it takes a little bit of time just to get used to it but the the sense of humor and the jokes in it is quite daft uh we landed on one island and i immediately saw that there was a cave and i was like all right, I normally I'm normally slow on this and pick something later, but I'm going for that cave. I want to find out what's in that cave. It's a story event. There's no dice rolls listed. Let's go for it. I rush in there, and a random thing turns up. This is pirates selling pets, and he's like, "Would you like to buy a pet?" And I'm I'm reading this. I'm thinking, "Yeah, I'll buy a pet." And no, my pirate just goes, oh, "I'm going to run him through and rob him." So my pirate <laughs> just goes, "Oh, a pet? My own pet pal? That sounds amazing." Kills him, steals a hippo. So I had a hippo for the rest of the game. I, I, it was meant to help me out in fights. It gave me extra brawn. I never got involved in a fight. So the, I just was the safety pirate plus plus hippo, which was really sweet. When we landed on the island again, um, Audrey, you went in the cave, didn't you? And something that very yep, different happened. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you found something else. You, you know, I, I watched uh, a spoiler-free tutorial video of this game, and I think I missed everything of it. Yeah, uh, the mechanics of the game is just, I, I don't, there's not much to them really. Move around mm -hmm. the map, put your piece on a board, roll a dice, improve your stats. You know, the better your stats are, the more, um, more, the more well you can do, which I like because if you choose to fire cannons, you'll gain aim because you're practicing firing cannons and you'll get better at firing cannons. And then later in the game, where the situations become really important, you've maxed out your aim and people are telling you to fire cannons and you're like, but no, no, I want to do something involving brawn and get that last brawn tick so I can have a good ending. And none of you guys let me do that. You made me fire the cannons in the last encounter from start to finish. And I did not get the good ending. I was one one brawn away and Profi would not let me go f do the brawn fighting. I'm, I'm a little sore about that. <laughs> I, I, if you I'll don't want to cannons. be backstabbed, don't play with pirates. Well, yeah, exactly. I did. I must admit, like, my character did steal Profi's, like, shirt off his back and then bury it. Oh, in... he was so annoyed about that. <laughs> he he, <took laughs> he that. went on for so long. I knew he'd take it personally when it happened, but I'd just written his pirate name in my um, book, uh, you know, because that was I had to pick somebody, and then the the my constellation went, and you're going to steal the treasure from him, and I went, okay, well, I'll have the shirt then. And then as soon as he got upset, I was like, he's going to be after that the first chance he gets, and I know there's the work the ship option to steal it, so I buried it, and then he stole the harpoon he gifted me back instead. So, <laughs> but yeah, it it's um it definitely a game that like very much gets you into a role-playing state of mind at times and has just i think it's just the right amount of friction between players you're not forced to be awful to other people but you can and if you do it's generally in a purpose of stealing the treasures that everyone has which is kind of this small little mini game treasures give you extra bonuses they give you extra abilities and you can bury them for stars so they're quite fun and desirable but you can only have four at maximum 
Um, so people who don't bury them often end up just chucking them overboard for supplies. Yeah, like I did. Yeah. But I had good treasures. You did. Yeah, I also like this This game. is It's cooperative, but there are all these different elements where, you know, you steal something from the other or... Um, <clears throat> force people to do something they they would like to do something else and it, it's an interesting uh, mixture um i yeah it's cooperative it's cooperative but everyone has a different idea of what cooperation is yeah um i personally uh, that might have to do with the player count we play with four players and um especially like in the second half i felt like I didn't have that much choice in what I'm doing because um, at some point um, everyone has like maxed out one of their skills and it's clear, okay, you need to do this. And um, I think with more players, um, you have more options or even like in the last fight, um, of course, we needed people to fire the cannons. and. Um, so two players fire the cannons, one has to guard the captain, leaves only one with like freedom of choice really. And um, that, that was something I didn't enjoy as much, uh, but that might work better with uh, more players. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's kind of what I touched on before. I, I have played with more players um, and while the game tries to compensate you for having a lower player count by giving you the uh, the hungry pirate section if you ever encounter it is automatically dealt with so somebody gets this pseudo extra action um, which resulted in many people deciding to starve the crew when we played which, yeah and, and we ended the game on max supplies so was it really worth starving them for that but uh, I guess that's what you decided uh, so fair enough um, but yeah when you have more players I had it once and I decided to feed them you I did mean. you did actually profi starved them yeah. Um, yeah, you get to that kind of state where everyone's in a specialized role. This first adventure as well is shorter than the others because it's a bit more introductory. So you have less space to kind of dawdle around the ocean and have a few silly adventures and maybe go, well, I'm not just the aim, aim pirate or the navigating pirate. I'm also something else. Um, and we, if we'd had more time, we I would have suggested we go on a little bit of a detour just to get some more skill pips for people and broaden their characters. But we were we were on a time limit, and we could, I could see that we were approaching the end within like two or three journeys trips. So I was just like, okay, we'll just get there, and and then I had to sit there and stew while I was forced to fire the cannon over and over. One point away from having my good ending. I'm a little bitter about that, but it's fine because it was the whole thing was a lot of fun. Do not worry; it doesn't sound like you you are bitter about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not really bitter about notice. it. But I'm role playing bitter about it. I, I imagine my my safety pirate was very unhappy having to fire the cannons all the time because the cannons are terribly unsafe. She very much had a problem with those cannons, but uh, you know. So yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, it is. It's a very characterful game. I, I I think there were several moments where the writing made us laugh, like multiple of us, which yes. was, is a good sign if the writing in your game makes you laugh, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
with the winning moment being bludgeoning Mar- the Duchess Marie Curie with uh, the League of Death Star. That, came, that blindsided me because we'd not read that anywhere previously on your sheet and I purposely avoid looking at other people's sheets and then you just read that out loud and it was just this image of her Marie, Baroness, or was it Baroness Marie Curie's Duchess, pr- Duchess, Baron, Duchess Baroness Marie Curie's a prized uh, Lego Death Star and you just breaking it over her head and killing her. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, because it's really stupid, your pirate goes, and now I am royalty. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? That's how you get a, a royalty uh, title. No. <laughs> no, 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 because the text then says that your pirate says that, that yeah, now I'm royalty, but the text says Actually, that's not how royalty works, so you have done all this for nothing. <laughs> well, uh, okay. a, lot of, a lot of kings and uh, and queens in the, the history of humanity would beg to differ different. They, they would, but uh, it was it was a fun high moment followed by, uh, oh, oh dear, <laughs> oh, uh, hubris has come along with calling and now I'm swinging from the, from the gallows. Oops. <laughs> Which was, uh, that, I think that was the darkest of the endings, but also the one that gave us the biggest laugh. Yeah. And one thing that I have to mention about uh, basically all the games that we've mentioned today is that they're not the most pricey games. Yeah, that's always good to to point out, especially since so many games are on the... the Yeah, none of them has uh, miniatures, which uh, often brings the cost uh, down. But for the narrative they have, since it's most of the times uh, a book, or uh, in the case of Forgotten Water, the, the app, uh, it keeps the cost and the weight of uh, the box down. And, and I think that's really something that's interesting, and that right now with the shipping, um, let's say, a context uh, internationally and with China and with all the container, cr- container crisis, I think that's something that many game publishers and game designers could look into to keep their games uh, cheaper, cheaper to ship, uh, smaller to manage, uh, smaller to store on the shelves on a store, and yeah, everything. Yeah, uh, which is exactly the counter tendency of what we had in the latest years. Because you got bigger and bigger boxes. You More got, miniatures! Uh, yeah, more ex- more miniatures, more expensive components. You need double and triple layer stuff. And yes, this container crisis is uh, is actually a big uh, is a is a big uh, wake up call if you want. Yeah. Because probably we will need to change something and make everything more manageable. And also it could be a problem for... Uh, I think that the biggest problem is that for uh, uh, standing Kickstarters, but uh, there will be backlashes. And actually, related to this, it's probably the fact that more and more games are using apps, right? Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so the, the Forgotten Waters is one game which makes extensive use uh, of an app. And uh, I think that the most notable I have in my, in my list, which uh, requires an app to work, is My Father's Work, which is a game I was very, very interested in. It had expensive components and stuff, but I was kind of wary of the fact that it doesn't happen. So <laughs> basically, I don't know what uh, the th- the thoughts of you all are about uh, using apps in games. 
I am not opposite to that. I actually like when something does the heavy lifting for me, but I'm kind of wary for the future availability because if we are talking five or six years of guaranteed av availability of the of an app or a website for using, I, I can be okay. I, I won't play more than that anyway. It's kind of an extended legacy game, but uh, if you are not guaranteed for three two years. Um, I kind we'll of see maybe suspicious. when we talk about destinies if we do talk about it. Well, we already did yeah. talk about it. You you'd be very welcome to come back and have a, other thoughts on it in an opening section because I just I just went through it in an opening section. Um, yeah. I was cool. going to say like destinies. Um, the experience mostly landed flat for us. Uh, I might have said the H word in regards to how I felt about it, uh, and then gone back and um, amended that to just say I think, I think. Um, the app in Destinies does what the app in Forgotten Waters does, which is it takes a lot of the heavy lifting and um, puts it elsewhere and allows you to just engage with the board game. Um, it's just down to the writing. Uh, I, I've, I've started to see on Board Game Geek as well other people with the same sentiment I have, which is Destinies is an amazing system with bad stories being told that are not replayable or particularly fun or pleasant and actually turn out to have even less sandboxy kind of stuff they're almost like an escape room i think is the way to look mm -hmm. at them rather than a proper adventure thing but the mechanic system is great forgotten waters similar nice thing they've done is it's they've they've designed it that you can download the whole thing um offline and so if you're concerned about that you can download it offline you can save that somewhere on you know on a file or whatever your own personal copy and it will keep the game uh, viable for the future and then the only thing you need to do is print more yeah. pirate sheets as in when you use them up or yeah. order some more yeah i think um, with with apps you you really have to differentiate like there are games that have an actual app for smartphones and i i despise that um because especially if you make an android app for example um there's a high chance that even in two years you won't be able to use it properly um yeah if you do an app, yeah. please make it as a web app so I can just open it in any browser um, and maybe uh, take a laptop or uh, whatever. I don't have to worry about uh, if I have the right uh, operating system or anything. And um, it should be possible to have the experience without an internet connection. Um, that's something I encountered with Midara. Um, it doesn't have an app itself, but it uses the Foreteller app for narration, or you can use it. Um, it doesn't work for me because I don't have a, a good enough Wi-Fi in my gaming room. So um, yeah, and due to how the app works, usually you can preload sound files, but not for Midara. So I can't use it in my game. And I think... I think we'll talk about the Madara app at some point in the future because uh, uh, we've been using it recently because uh, we've been playing Madara and yeah, um, Fortel is a nice idea, but there's some issues with its execution. Yeah. With an app, personally, uh, the, the problem is that when the app functions well, it can it can elevate the, the game and can make it work uh, nicely. Although I've rarely seen an app that... Um, a, a game that I would say uh, 
would be a lot worse without the without its app. Uh, usually, it's it's slightly better, slightly easier, slightly faster. Um, but when the app doesn't work, it can really get in the way of the game and the fun. Uh, and that's that's kind of my my position on it. Where it's very easy to make an app that doesn't work, or that a year later is is buggy or. or just doesn't work mm-hmm. well unless it's open source and the community can fix it and can make it uh, better then then that functions but otherwise i'm usually uh kind of worry wary of them uh i think that the best game that uses an app that i know would be unlock um because unlock's app is is very simple and it usually doesn't rely on it too much but even then um if one day that that app doesn't work, then all of those games are uh, inoperable because because some of them require uh, hints that are only in the app. So yeah, yeah ju- just think like uh, '90s games with VCRs, like Atmosphere. <laughs> you can basically play again Atmosphere because there's the entire video transcript uh, in YouTube. But uh, even that one won't last forever, and it's anyway one copyright notice away from being unavailable again so uh, there are there are always ways to to cope with obsolescence of technologies but um, a web-based app is probably the best option to use an app i think that the best way of uh, looking at apps is like well this is uh, not quite like a legacy game but it will eventually be unavailable so I, I don't, I'm not buying this game for my future kids to play uh, and I'm not, to, I'm not talking about my actual kids, <laughs> I'm talking about metaphorical kids uh, so that in 15 years time someone will play this game again because that probably won't happen. I think a good approach would be, okay, this game is made for an app uh, there's a good app which makes uh, the game a lot more enjoyable but here you have the optional purchase of this book which has a lot of stuff is a lot more clumsy but uh, it uh, completely substitutes the app if you need it uh, that's kind of sensible and what made me think like that is basically a, a, a tiny mostly insignificant thing like the app in seven continents it was mostly cool, it, uh, g- it gives you a soundtrack uh, and so on, but there's a specific item which is entirely optional and doesn't uh, break the courses in the game, which uh, allows you to use aug- augmented reality. It is uh, mostly in, a, in effective, uh, you, you see just vortexes except in a couple uh, locations, but... Uh, that part uh, it made uh, me really wonder because uh, uh, iphone libraries evolve and stuff needs updates android libraries evolve even more wildly like kara said and uh, this is uh, i thought not cool um and another thing i mean one part is does it work does it is it integrated well another thing is do I want an electronic device on my board game table? And honestly, I don't. Um, usually when I play board games um, and I don't stream them, I don't even have my smartphone in the same room with me because I want to focus on the game. And um, being forced to have a device there and 
maybe even be connected to the internet and then I get notifications about messages and whatnot. And I don't want that. I want to play board games, not video games. And um, even though I, for example, agree that the app in Forgotten Waters is, is great and helps a lot, it is a reason for me not to get this game. Um, if they had the option, hey, we have here a book with all the stories and whatnot, you can play it without an app. Okay, but I don't want to be forced to use an app. A while ago, I would have said that as well. Uh, and uh, then I played Mansions of Madness first edition and the DM player put an item under the chest that this item was supposed to open in setup. And in some cases, when there are many moving parts, I would say, okay, I agree, I'm going to take the app uh, if it can prevent player mistakes. But that's uh, the only situation. Okay. Oh, yeah, unlock because you have the timer. Yeah, maybe that's not too much, but that's the extent of it for me. Okay, true story now. Uh, <laughs> uh... I, um, when I was a kid, uh, my, my father, which was uh, kind of an anti-literal ner nerd, uh, he, he bought the original Dark Tower game, okay? It had uh, this tower which illuminated and stuff. It lasts since I was a small kid. When we got the game, I have a, I had a bigger brother and no little brother yet, so uh, basically I destroyed the game, <laughs> I destroyed the tower and everything, and it we had a basically mint game with a destroyed tower which made it unusable. Uh, now 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 I have my <laughs> I have my hand at uh, electronic engineering, so I repaired it later. But uh, actually, uh, we we didn't get a chance to play that game again after six months. We bought it, and uh, when I saw the new Kickstarter, which uh, had Return to Dark Tower, new improved mechanics, just for nostalgia factor, I wanted to buy it. It uh, was actually engineered very cool because uh, a lot of stuff is uh, changeable and you can repair a lot of the stuff but still I couldn't force myself to to shield two hundred dollars or something like that to get a game of, with which I was burnt because uh, well that was the 90s version of obsolescence yeah yeah it's um there's not too many of those games that have uh, held in people's consciousness. Dark Tower obviously is one, and um, uh, Atmosphere is definitely one. I think Atmosphere is so yeah. popularly famous because of how brilliant the performances of the actors behind those rubbery <laughs> masks and how... Uh, Silence, worm! Yes. Go to black hole! <laughs> yeah. There, uh, but... Um, no, th those games are actually uh, cultural milestones because th they are very cool. They are great. They are great because of the g gimmicks they employ. But uh, I have to say, in the end, is it worth it? I, I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's always a bit of a question, really, on how long a board game's life is supposed to be. I mean, I... I have Warhammer Quest still sat on my shelf. Um, not that I really play it, but 
it's completely intact and as playable now as it was when it was released in was it 95 i think yeah you know it's the same as when i got it in 2008 yeah i'd say 94 or 95 yeah so but uh i i think it's fine for yeah it was 1995 it's fine for a game to be consumable um but maybe with these bigger games yeah that's a bit more of a a harder pill to swallow like you said um my my father's work which sounds super super cool i did back it in the end after like dithering about whether i was going to or not um but i am very aware that how long is this one going to be around um and in a playable state and it's it's not a cheap uh, experience it's a very uh physically extravagant game um i think they're using yeah. glass bottles uh, as some of the components like little cast glass yeah. vials and i'm like wow that's amazing but then you have no long-term plan for this item um like what happens as you're a small company if if the app stuff stops working in within five years like it's a if you change a website domain and you won't remember it in 10 years yeah um so i i don't know but they did they they said we'd have to print an 800 page spiral book to support it um oh well maybe you should consider doing that a couple of years down the line you should definitely do it if you're not reprinting the game and you're looking to retire the electronics otherwise like uh, aftermath or comanauts which i'm looking at right now i could play those for forever they're just spiral books pull the book on the table off you go yeah so who knows who knows where we end up with that but uh, uh forgotten waters at least took some steps to try and let people keep the game of the uh, the game preserved over the years by giving you the tools needed to create your own offline copy and you know, you could stick it on a USB stick and put that inside the box, or if you prefer, you could burn it on like a CD or a DVD if you have one of those in your computer. Um, <laughs> I don't. Um, yeah, yeah, but some kind of physical medium that sits there and you can re-upload it onto whatever device can work a web browser. Which we should always have one of those for as long as we're around. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, for Forgotten Waters case, at least, it's uh, it's fair enough. Yeah, I think uh, that sort of brings us to a, a point where we're starting to discuss apps rather than the games. But um, uh, I, does anyone have anything else they'd like to say about these? Uh, not specifically about these, but just uh, for one of the, the next episodes, uh, I'm planning to, to go uh, spend a few days at Audrey's in the, in the upcoming month to play uh, as much Midra as we can uh, without getting uh, sick of it. <laughs> uh, so in, in a couple of episodes, we'll probably have a, an episode specifically designed to, to talk about Midra. Yep, I'm also and playing Midra. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on Fortella. Yeah, I'm also playing Madara at the same uh, time. I'm playing through the story, uh, and I'm going to hold off on my thoughts until we're talking about that in that episode. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Right, then. Last order. Any final business? Nope. 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 Uh, so that's all we have time for this episode. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash the last standy or as the last standy on Twitter. Until next time, we have been the last standy, and it's goodbye from Alexis from Belgium. Au revoir, Alessio. Bye, people. Audrey. Bye bye. Cara. Auf Wiederhören.
and myself. And remember that this time the second E in Standee stands for Escapade. <laughs>